So for the last month and a half, we've been going through this series on the road. And in this series, uh, for the last few weeks, and we've got this Sunday and next Sunday left in our series, we're, we're looking at the claim that Jesus made. In Luke tw- chapter 24, it's right after the resurrection, Jesus makes this bold claim. In fact, he makes it twice in Luke 24, where he says that the entire Bible is all about him. In fact, what he says in the second claim, when he makes that, he says that the law of Moses, the the prophets, and the Psalms, that all of them are about Jesus. And so for these past few weeks, we've been going through the law of Moses. We've looked at two main themes and main stories in uh, in that section of Scripture, the first five books of the Bible. Then the prophets, that's kind of the writings and the prophets. We've looked at a few of those. Next Sunday, we've got one as well. And then today, we're looking at arguably the most famous psalm in, uh, in the Bible, and that's Psalm 23. You, you probably know this psalm. Maybe you kind of have parts of it memorized, even if you don't know it. Maybe you've heard it at a funeral. Maybe you've heard it at a service. Maybe even kind of in pop culture, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You've, you've maybe heard this before. And the psalm is a beautiful psalm. Like, it really is this wonderful psalm, poem, it's kind of a song of sorts. And Jesus, and really all of those New Testament believers, they would most likely have most of the psalms in some way or another memorized. And in this psalm, it talks about how our shepherd is there for us. That he's always there with us and that he provides for us and that he cares for us. And even when we suffer, that he's there and that he's not going to waste our suffering. It's all these beautiful truths. The problem is, though, that a lot of times in our lives, we know that those things are true, but we don't experience them right here and right now. We know that God is good. We know he's not going to waste our suffering. But maybe right now you just feel lonely. Maybe right now you just feel sad. And so what do you do with that? Look, when you don't experience Psalm 23, but... Instead, like uh, Christian counselor David Pallison says, you instead experience the anti-Psalm 23. And as he writes, maybe this is more your experience. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and I'm often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul, it it feels broken, twisted, and stuck, and I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist, I want to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. But I'd rather not think about that. I I, I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen, and I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends, and I, I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one's really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me that sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. And my cup, it's never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all of my days of my life. 
Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free falling into void? So Tross said, hell is other people. And I have to add that hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. You know, if, if we can be honest, for some of us, that, that might be exactly where you are today. Maybe in totality or maybe just certain refrains of that psalm. That you see these truths, maybe you even know them, maybe you even would claim them. That, yeah, Jesus is my shepherd. But I, I don't know if I can say all the rest of the truths. Friends, if that's where you find yourself today, or maybe not today, but tomorrow, or tomorrow's tomorrow, then I think today's sermon is for you. As we look at Psalm 23, and we see, that as we've been seeing in our series, that all of the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. That even when you are experiencing the reality and truth of anti-Psalm 23, that Jesus still is our shepherd. And as we'll see in our big idea, as Jesus picks up in John chapter 10, that he is not just the shepherd, he is the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his sheep, that friends, in our big idea, that Jesus is our good shepherd. And I think that will bring tremendous hope for you and me today. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus and that he is our good shepherd. I pray for our people right now that aren't experiencing that right now. Father, that so many are just incredibly lonely. They want so much. They, 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 they're suffering deeply. Father, they're in a deepest darkness. I pray that even now, that they would draw near to you, that they would return to you, and that they would be refreshed. Father, use me to preach that your spirit would move powerfully. Draw sinners to the shepherd. And Father, as we pray for a partner every week, I want to pray for Port City Church as we're partnering with them. Father, many of them are about to move. They're about to embark on something that's scary. It's exciting, yeah, absolutely, to advance the gospel, be part of a new gospel work there in a city that desperately needs it. But, Father, it's scary. Most all of them are moving from Greensboro, North Carolina, hours away, away from family, new place, new city, new job. Father, there's so much uncertainty. But your gospel is worth it. I pray that you would give them boldness and that they would be reminded that even in the midst of that, yes, an exciting time, but a scary time, that your son, Jesus, the good shepherd, is right there with them. We pray that you would do that and that you would be with us right now. You would work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. We'll get there in just a second. But I want to give you a little bit of context of Psalm 23. You know, last week, if you were with us, we saw David and Goliath, right? The famous story of David fighting off and ultimately killing Goliath, the giant. We saw that it's really not about David. It ain't about you and me, for sure. It's really about Jesus. And a lot of times when you read then Psalm 23, knowing that it was written by David, it might be tempting to think, oh, well, David, maybe he even wrote that during that time, right? I mean, David was a shepherd. We saw that last week. But scholars actually say that it's probably not when David is a shepherd or right after. It's actually later in life when David is writing this. He's been a king for a while. He's had a lot of successes. A lot of good things have happened. 
I mean, he killed Goliath. I mean, that's for one. But then he's had some negative things happen too. Some really hard things. Some people that he loves, some friends have stabbed him in the back. His wife has left him and, and he's got enemies around him. And in the midst of that, he writes this psalm. Perhaps prays and then later writes it down. We don't know exactly how that went down, but this is what comes to mind. This is what bleeds out of him. And friends, I want to encourage you as we jump into this that we would think like David, who's thinking like a shepherd. He's returning his mind back to those days of being a shepherd. And what do shepherds do? Well, they care for sheep, right? There's a scholar who also was a shepherd named Philip Keller, and he has a book that he kind of writes insights to give so we can know what exactly is in David's mind when he talks about this. A shepherd, again, he's caring for sheep because, if, as you know, shepherds, you know, they're kind of alone during that time. It's just them and the sheep. But what do shepherds do? Well, shepherds, they know their flock. They know them intimately. They know the difference between that sheep and this one. As well, they feed them. They lead them, and they protect them. That's all ultimately what they're doing. They know them, they feed them, they lead them, and they protect them. And, and just on a side note, before we do jump in, you know, elders, pastors, those words are synonyms in the New Testament. For myself, Jacob, and Kenny, we're elders of this church. We are really considered, the, the, the Bible would consider us shepherds, under shepherds, under King Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, the senior pastor of every gospel preaching church. And so we are called to be able to shepherd our church members that we would as well know you intimately and well of what you love and what you, your dreams and your hopes and your fears and that we would rejoice with you and cry with you as well, that we would feed you. That's the word of God, what we're doing right now, but as well uh, through music, through our community groups, etc. that we would lead you individually and corporately and that we would protect you, help protect you from uh, attacks from the enemy individually in your family, but as well for us as a church doctrinally. Friends, this is what we're called to do. This is what shepherds, this is what pastors do. But, you know, shepherds, when they are caring for their sheep, there's a few things to know about sheep, right? Like in the Bible, you've probably heard before that sheep are kind of dumb. But really, the, the point more so in the Old Testament is, is that sheep are dependent. And that's really where Philip Keller gets at, that, you know, when you look at sheep, they have to have someone help them all the time. I mean, they, are, they will just follow anything and anyone. Uh, ultimately, like a sheep would quite literally follow each other off the edge of a cliff and just keep following each other. Like that, that's how dependent they are. They need someone to lead them. Uh, not only that, they need someone to feed them. They, they will continue to go in the same path until it is just totally destroyed and, and even infected. Like that's what will happen. They can get bugs that will get up in their nose, ultimately in their head, and they will drive them crazy, can even kill them. Like they need someone to take care of them. They're totally dependent. And so in the midst of that, friends, that's how God describes you and me. That we're totally dependent. And you may or may not feel that way, but the reality is we know that we're totally dependent. I mean, what was the longest span that you've ever gone without sleeping, without eating, without drinking? Ultimately, it's really not that long, right? Like, we are dependent on all sorts of things. Not only that, but we're dependent on money to be able to help provide for ourselves. Like, we are dependent people, dependent creatures. And because of that, we know that we're dependent as well, ultimately. Not on ourselves, not on food or money or a job. We're dependent on God, and that's what we see in this passage. And we're going to see ultimately that the shepherd, the true shepherd, is Jesus. And we'll see three truths from him that ultimately first in verses 1 through 3, that our shepherd provides for us. Check it out, verse 1. 
It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. David starts off and he reminds us who the shepherd is. It's Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd. And isn't that great news? That we actually have a shepherd. We're not by ourselves. We're we're, we're not out on our own. But he says something really bold after that. He says, because Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of crazy. Like, as I was reflecting on this psalm this week, that was kind of the the new fresh thing for me that I've been wrestling with and praying for. Do I really not want or need anything else because I have Jesus? Like, is Jesus, honestly, ask yourself and think through this, is Jesus actually enough for you? Or do you really, would you like some more? You know, when, when someone has a birthday or uh, an anniversary, oftentimes they're like, hey, what do, you, what do you want? Like, what do you want for a gift, right? What do you want for your birthday? And you might say a common thing, or maybe you've heard, oh, I, I don't want anything, right? But we know that's not true. Like, of course you want something, right? You either haven't thought about it, or you want them to kind of figure it out, right? But really, you're like, yeah, I know I want these shoes. I want them from that place, right? I want this movie. I want to go do this experience. Like, of course, you have these wants, right? But David makes this claim that if we have Jesus, that ultimately he will fulfill all of your needs and all of your wants. Now, that's not to say that, hey, you want a, you want a, a sweet new car? You want some dope new shoes? Then, uh, hey, you got Jesus, he's going to give them to you. This is not a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. That's not what David is talking about. But he says that ultimately our foundation of our needs and our wants They're not found in money, sex, or power. They are found ultimately in Jesus. That Jesus is where true satisfaction is found. You know, if I'm honest, like, I do believe that. But I need help believing that. Because so often, we do want Jesus plus something else. Right? Like, yeah, I know I just need Jesus. But you know what, Jesus, if I can get Jesus plus a better job situation. If I can get Jesus plus a better house. If I can get Jesus plus this relationship. If I can get Jesus plus this amount of money. If I can get Jesus plus this thing. Then, then I will be satisfied. But David says, and the claim, the bold and scandalous claim of Christianity is no. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's, that equals everything. And David says that the Lord is my shepherd. I I, I don't want anything. Why? Because he provides everything I need. Verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, a a sheep, they would eat uh, around the green pastures, right? So first of all, Jesus is providing to us, and he's given us all the good stuff. He's taken them to the green pastures. But now they're lying down, meaning that they have had their their little sheep feast, and they are just chill, right? They have had everything that they need. They have eaten enough of Laura Bristow's wonderful biscuits. And I don't know when you get to the point, but once you get to the point that you're like, I have had enough, then they lie down, right? That's the point that they're at, that they have so much satisfaction, so much fulfillment, they're good. They don't even need to eat anymore. But not just that. He says then as well, he leads me beside still waters. This idea of still waters in comparison to what? Rushing waters, right? 
these Russian waters that are more stressful and, and more like, will I get enough water? And do I have to hurry? No, no, no. With Jesus, there's no hurry. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just the opposite of our culture right now? That with Jesus, there's no hurry. Because like our lives are always about hurry. It's about what can I do here? What do I need to go there? Okay, then from there I need to go do this. I need to do that. Then maybe I can sleep for a little bit. Then I got to do this. This is on my calendar. Like that's what our lives are all about. Like even when you're just chilling, right? And you're just on your phone and you're like, all right, I just need to veg out. I need to get on social media for a while. I just need to just stroll and scroll and scroll and swipe. Then when that happens, how do you feel 30, 60 minutes later? Do you feel rested? Of course you don't. Of course I don't. I think it will. I think it will satisfy me. I think if I play that game long enough, I think if I watch this enough, then it will make me happy, but it doesn't. But in Jesus, that he provides for us and he gives us this grace of rest. I mean, who wouldn't want a God like that? You know, God has actually given us this wonderful rhythm in the Christian life where we can actually experience this right now. And it's the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath was something that God himself took on the seventh day that he rested. As well, then he instituted that in the Ten Commandments. It's then repeated throughout the Old Testament. You see it as well in the New Testament. And yes, then there's some things that Jesus clarifies because some misunderstandings about the Sabbath. They were taken that legalistically. But it's this wonderful gift of God that was given even pre-fall that we need rest. And ultimately rest not just for the sake of just chilling out, but rest in Jesus. And this is something that Kristen and I, we've been exploring and trying to grow in over the past few months. And I just want to say, this is something as we have actually set aside a day, that this has been a wonderful grace to our family. And so if this is not something that you're engaging in, I want to encourage you to do just that. To actually have enough faith to cease from work for a day. And you might say, I'm too busy. Friends, In Jesus, there is found such tremendous grace and rest. He provides for us. And you know, when he provides for us, verse 3 happens. It says, he restores my soul. The, The word restore here, it shows up a ton in the Old Testament, over a thousand times. And it's really this idea of returning. And so, as we return to Jesus... He restores us. It's really the idea that we saw in our series in the book of James earlier this year. That God is nearby. And he says if we return to God, that he returns to us. That if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. It's this wonderful reality that at God, through Jesus, our shepherd, he gives us everything we need. And as we return to him, as we continue to draw close to Jesus, as you spend time with Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week, as you study scripture yourself, as you lean into the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of, of Bible study, of living in biblical community, of serving, as we lean forward into Jesus, that he restores us. He brings you restoration. Maybe you're here today and you're just hungry for, you want to be restored. Friends, pursue after Jesus. Lean into Jesus. Return to Jesus. And it says when that happens that he leads us, he leads me in paths of righteousness. That he leads us to right ways, to live God's way. Which, when you first read that, you might respond and say, well, that sounds kind of lame, 
right? You're saying that if I return back to Jesus, he's going to tell me that I can do this and can't do that, right? Like that just sounds like an eternal buzzkill. But here, this idea that David is giving is that this is actually the ways that we were created to live. That no, it's actually before when we're trying to fulfill our own desires, our own satisfaction, that that's when we we have all of this unrest in ourselves. That's where sin comes into play. But it's when we follow and trust Jesus, the friends, that we thrive as we were meant to as believers. That that's actually how we were meant to live, how we were made to live. Friends, that Jesus, he He provides this way as we return to him through his word, through prayer, and shows us, leads us to live righteously. Now, we can't do this on our own. Like, you can't just say, well, I need to return to Jesus. I got to read the Bible, and I just got to try real hard, and then I'll be restored. That's not how it works. Because we can't be righteous in and of ourselves. No, we need Jesus to lead us in the path of righteousness, and as it says next, for his name's sake. It's because Jesus actually lived the perfect sinless life that you can't, that he actually can lead you in this way. And that he, along with you, he will empower you by his spirit to live for him, to live out this way. Friends, this is how God has created us. And this is how we were meant to thrive. But, you know, as we thrive, there is like a problem that comes to play. Because it's like, okay, Jesus, you want me to live this way? This is God's way. This is how I'm supposed to live. So I guess things, if you're providing for me and I'm living your way, I guess everything will just be great, right? So why is everything not great? (laughs) Does that mean I'm not walking with Jesus? No, the reality is that we live in a sinful world. That we ourselves, that we need to be restored. We need to continue to repent and come back to Jesus. But it's not just that we have individual sin. It's that sin has literally infected the world. The world is broken. The world doesn't work the way it's supposed to. That's the reason there's death. That's the reason there's suffering. That's the reason there's hardship. It's because there is suffering. And so what do we do with that? Knowing that Jesus, yes, provides for everything. And he's going to lead us in righteousness. But everything is still messed up. What do I do with that? And that's what David writes next. We see first that Jesus, he provides for us, but secondly, that Jesus suffers with us. Check it out, verse four. David says, as he's in the midst of enemies all around him, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Quite literally, he says, even though I'm in the deepest darkness, He has enemies around him. He'll even talk about enemies uh, specifically here in a moment. But he says, I'm in the deepest darkness. You ever been there before? You ever experienced the valley of the shadow of death? I mean, maybe, maybe right now. Maybe it's just, I'm so lonely. Man, I... I lost my job again. My marriage is just crumbling right before me. I'm just so sad. I'm just so depressed. I have no clue what to do. I've been trying and trying for years, and we just can't get pregnant. I I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's today, or maybe it's tomorrow, or tomorrow's tomorrow. But, friends, all of us, we all suffer. David is really, he's just showing us the the condition of the human experience that we have now. 
It's been said that all of life is suffering. That all of the Christian life is suffering. That we're either going into a suffering, currently suffering, or coming out of one. That's the human life. That because of the brokenness of sin, that we suffer. When was the last time that you experienced that deepest darkness? I remember for myself, I mean, we, we've had suffering since then, but the last time that there was this kind of valley of the shadow of death was about two, two and a half years ago for Kristen and me. We had been, um, we'd been wanting to, to have a child for two, three years, and uh, not because of infertility, but different life circumstances. We waited about three years uh, before uh, Kristen got pregnant, and we were so excited, right? Of course. And... Then out of nowhere, uh, during a healthy pregnancy, uh, seven months in, uh, James, we, we found out that James, our son, was going to be born about two months early. Um, and that was totally unexpected. Like, we weren't expecting that. Kristen went into a routine visit. We were literally just a few days about to go on a baby moon, going to a different state and hanging out. Uh, and then we found out after that appointment that, hey, you are not leaving this hospital uh, until you give birth. And we, of course, were just totally floored. Like, that was not on our radar, and we had no clue what any of that ever meant. And then we proceeded to spend the next seven weeks in the hospital uh, as Kristen waited a few days, and then as well as James was then in the hospital for those two months. And, And during that time, as we were, I mean, honestly, just like weighing through, like, What's going to happen to Kristen? Uh, because she had some medical issues. Thankfully, all of those, by God's grace, have, have, have really cleared, and, and he's really healed her. And, and James, he's doing great too. But like at that time, we didn't know any of that. And, and I, I just remember at one particular low moment, it was, uh, it was right during the midst of the pandemic. It was less than a year into it. And so though we were starting to learn things about COVID, we I, of course, had no clue how does COVID uh, impact a four-pound, like, couple-day-old preemie baby. And I I got sick. And it turns out, thankfully, it was just allergies. But, like, I didn't know that. And, like, I was terrified. And I was so afraid that I had just given my son COVID and that my wife was struggling in all these ways and we had all these things going on. And I, I mean... I just felt in the deepest darkness. And in the midst of that, all I could do was just run to Jesus. Like, I I remember a very specific moment, and all I could do as I was driving was I played, I pulled up my Bible app, and I played Psalm 23 over and over, and I prayed, and I cried, And it was in that moment that, friends, I knew that Jesus was with me. As if he was right there in the the car next to me and holding my hand. As I had no clue what was happening. And I couldn't see anything. And, you know, in that moment, it didn't fix everything. Right? Like the, the reality of... Me walking through the shadow of death. You walking through the shadow of death. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what would be fixed. But I could say that I fear no evil. 
Why? Because Jesus, you are with me. I noticed exactly what David noticed, which is that in verses 1 through 3, he's talking about Jesus, the shepherd, more third person. He's saying that this is who my shepherd is. He provides for me. But then when he's in the midst of it, he says, you are with me. You, second person, are with me right now. And that's why I don't fear evil. It's not that things aren't hard. It's not that things are getting fixed. It's not that everything is okay now. Now that I just prayed and I realized, oh, Jesus is my shepherd. No, 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 no. But I realized that Jesus is right there with me. That Jesus, quite literally, he is suffering with you. Friends, that's in the midst of suffering what we have to cling to. That's what when we can't see that ourselves, what we need each other, why we need biblical community and why we can't take a break from biblical community during the summer. It's because when you or or your fellow covenant member is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, they need someone to point out that Jesus is with you and I'm going to sit here with you and be the presence of Jesus right next to you. And when that happens... Friends, we're reminded of the fact that Jesus, he suffers with us and for us. That we have suffering. We continue to experience suffering because ultimately Jesus is waiting to come back and waiting for more people, all that would repent and believe, to come to know him. But he went to the cross, yes, to die for you, to die to pay for your sin debt individually. But it's much bigger than that. The gospel is also that your sin, my sin, has infected the world. The reason there is death and decay and hardship and suffering is because I have sinned. It's because you have sinned. Because we have sinned, the world is broken. And Jesus came to do something about it. That Jesus came and he suffered so we don't ultimately have to suffer. Jesus came and didn't just live the life we can't, but he died the death. He suffered the suffering that we deserve for all of our sin. On the cross. And he, friends, he suffered the ultimate valley of darkness. The ultimate, the, the deepest darkness. Not just because the cross was horrible, though it was. Because in that moment, he is taking all of my, all of your deepest, darkest, most heinous sins that you will never tell anyone about. Jesus took all of the wrath that was due to you for those. And he took them for all of the sins of the whole world. On himself, in one go, in one swing, in one cup. Friends, that was the deepest darkness. The moment where God the Father turns his back on Jesus and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And friends, Jesus was forsaken at the cross, so you don't have to be. Because he is suffering for you. That's the good news of the gospel. And that when he walked out of the grave victorious over sin, death, hell, the friends, those that repent and believe, those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus, they are given life and salvation. And they can have this gift that knowing that Jesus has suffered in their place and that he will suffer with them. And that one day Jesus will end all suffering. And that we can say, even as we suffer now, that I will fear no evil because Jesus has taken the ultimate suffering and he will end suffering one day. He is with me. 
His rod and his staff, his, this instrument of a shepherd, this rod that was there to protect the sheep, the staff that was there to direct and to lead the sheep, that Jesus, he is protecting me. Jesus is leading me, and that comforts me because my Savior is right here holding my hand when I can't do nothing else. And that even in the midst of that, when, when everything is wrong, when everything is dark, and when all I see is, verse 5, just enemies around me, that verse 5, you, Jesus, the shepherd, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How ridiculous is that? When everything is hard around you, when you have enemies attacking you, whether that's literal or metaphorically, the last thing you want to do is just sit down and have a feast. But David says, because I know that you suffered for me and with me. And then you provide everything I need. I can just sit down with you. And I can rest with you. Even when I don't feel any rest. I can be right there with you. And share a meal with you, Jesus. Friends, that's how intimate Jesus is with us. He's not just some dude that did some cool things. And then he, I guess he died for me. That's real nice of you. Like Jesus is the shepherd who's right there in the muck and the mire with you and protecting you and saving you and holding your hand and wiping your tears when you are having the worst day of your entire life. He's there when you're there and you're just chilling and you're just resting because you're just feasting on Jesus and he's there when you have nothing to offer. That's who our shepherd is. And when we're with our shepherd, it says that he anoints our head with oil. This anointing of oil in, throughout the Bible is really representative of the Spirit. That Jesus has given us His Spirit, just as Jesus promised. Remember, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. I'm sending my Spirit, and He's right there with you. And not just that. Jesus hasn't just anointed us with his spirit. He hasn't just given us his spirit at the moment of salvation. But he says, my cup overflows. That Jesus has provided everything that I need. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when I have nothing to offer. That Jesus is my cup. Jesus is my sustaining. Jesus is everything I need. Friends, Jesus is our shepherd. And he provides for us and he suffers with us. And the good news is. Friends, is that he doesn't just suffer with us. He doesn't just provide for us. But verse 6 we'll see as we finish is that he doesn't waste our suffering either. It's not just that he's just allowing it so he can wait and that he'll one day save everyone that he will. It's that he's not even wasting it, even for you. Verse 6. David then says, finishing up this famous poem. He says, surely. Not like hopefully. Not maybe, not golly, I just really wish this will happen. No, absolutely, surely, I am confident above all things, surely, goodness and mercy. Everything that is good and right, everything that is moral, everything that is upright, everything that describes who God is, his goodness and his mercy, meaning his loyal, his faithful love, they shall, they will follow me. All of the days of my life. And this word follow, it, it really is best translated of pursuing after. 
that though we might feel like and though all that we might experience right now is that the enemies, the darkness, the deepest darkness is pursuing after me, that we can know that at the same time that Jesus is pursuing after you even harder, that Jesus is there because Jesus is the fulfillment of all that is good, of all that is loyal and faithful in his love for us. That, friends, this goodness and mercy that is following us all the days of our lives. It's as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that even in the midst of our suffering, we can know that Jesus is using it, that he is redeeming it. He is not the author of it, but he will not waste it. He will use it. He will redeem it to bring this goodness and mercy ultimately in your life. Man, that's how good our shepherd is. He doesn't just provide for us and he doesn't just suffer with us, but he ain't going to waste one moment of your tears, of your pain, of whatever it is that you're going through now or tomorrow or tomorrow's tomorrow. Friends, that's who our shepherd is. That's how good he is. And he says, uh, David continuing on, he says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue after me all the days of my life. And one day in the end, It says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, so often in, uh, you know, 20 and 21st century American uh, Christianity, we've really kind of wrongly understood what the afterlife is all about. We kind of think that, yeah, I mean, when we die, we just float on up to heaven. And then I guess we just live up there the rest of our lives. But actually, what the New Testament teaches is, yes, as we are waiting for Jesus to return, if a, if a believer dies today, they will, they will, their, their body will lay in the ground, their spirit will go and be with Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, in heaven. Yes, that is true. But friends, when Jesus returns, you know what will happen? When Jesus comes back, we will come back as well. And we will live and reign right here in the new heavens, the new earth. You will be joined to your body in this new and quality body, just like Jesus. And you will dwell with Jesus. We will dwell amongst Jesus, the very presence of God himself, forevermore. But friends, the good news of the gospel isn't just that one day you will experience that. No, but as Jesus says in John chapter 17 that what is eternal life? We saw this as we looked at Numbers chapter 21, that what is eternal life? It's that we intimately know Jesus now. That you can dwell with Jesus right now. Because forever, when David says that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I won't just know Jesus in some general sense, that I won't just kind of hang out with Jesus sometimes. I might just go on a date with Jesus sometimes and he'll encourage me. No, it's that Jesus lives with me and he ain't going anywhere. And that that happened the moment you repented and believed. And that we are dwelling with Jesus now. And that one day we will be face to face with Jesus that you can have this intimate dwelling with Jesus now and forevermore. That's how good our shepherd is. And so I want to encourage you, believer, if you haven't been pursuing after this shepherd, if you've not been drawing near to this shepherd, by pursuing Jesus through the spiritual disciplines, by prayer, daily Bible study, by living in community, serving, being actively part of a church community, I want to encourage you, pursue after Jesus. Return to him, and he'll refresh your soul. And for some of you, 
Maybe today you've realized, I don't know what I've been following, but it's not the shepherd that you're describing. The friends today, look to the good shepherd, as Jesus says in John 10, who has laid his life down for his sheep. The one who died in your place on the cross. Repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus. Look to him as your good shepherd who will know you and feed you and lead you and protect you all the days of your life. As we close in prayer, I want to actually today read a a pre-written prayer. It's a prayer from pastor and theologian Tim Keller, who just died just a few days ago. And he he wrote a devotional uh, through the book of Psalm. I would really encourage it to you. It's a wonderful book. Uh, but in, at the end of each psalm, he has a prayer. And I, I want to read this psalm. A psalm that our brother clinged to through the end of his life. And pr- friends, a prayer that I want to pray over us, the church. And then we'll respond. Let's pray. Lord, if we fed on your love, grace, and truth, we would not be in any want. In this life, we will never attain that. Yet you are always with us. And someday you will lead us to our true country. The home we've all been looking for all of our lives. Lord, help us rest in that. Amen.